You are listening to You Canna Throw Your Granny Off a Bus, a production of Sheater. Hello, friend. Welcome to the Elder Abuse Audio Drama and Talk You Canna Throw Your Granny Off a Bus. Hi, I'm John. Who do you call if a senior is experiencing abuse, or isolation, or neglect? Call 911 if you have an emergency, or if someone is in immediate danger. Call 211 if you need help to find help. Turning to a good friend or trusted family member may be an option. Joining us from the Canadian Mental Health Association, Gray Bruce, we have Jackie Ralph. From the Alzheimer's Society of Gray Bruce, we have Sandra Hong. From Southeast Gray Community Health Centre, we have Tanya Shute. Mary Shikori from Elder Abuse Prevention, Ontario. And from Grey Bruce Elder Abuse Prevention and the Beaver Valley Outreach Centre, we have Pam McDermott. Tanya Coulter is with us from Mowikwadong Indigenous Friendship Centre. And joining us from the Owen Sound Police Service, Jason Cranny. Folks, thank you for coming back for this conversation. There was so much that we needed to talk about in the previous three episodes that we had to schedule this entire show to pick up on those themes. We heard about physical abuse. We heard about the needs of, of isolated seniors, of seniors with cognitive decline. We've heard about the importance of mental health and of watching out for what are really clear criminal activity directed towards seniors, whether that's scams or the types of abuse that we've heard already. I'd like to start off with Mary Shakuri, who joins us on Zoom. Mary is from Elder Abuse Prevention Ontario, an Ontario organization funded by the Ontario government through the Ontario Seniors and Accessibility Secretariat. Mary, can you tell us about one particular resource, the Senior Safety Line? The Senior Safety Line provides resources, counseling, and information to help anybody, no matter where you are in Ontario, get the information you need locally through your community. We are very proud of our Senior Safety Line for many reasons. First and foremost, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which means everyone, no matter what time of day or night, will have access to it. We are also very proud to say we can speak to you in 150 languages, meaning we will be able to bring a translator on the line. Ontario is a very multicultural society. So being able to speak in a language where you feel comfortable, where you can express yourself, we're very proud of that. And it's free and it's confidential. So those four key points is our way to invite everybody in Ontario, and not just seniors, but family members, perhaps caregivers, or a neighbor who's not sure of something they're seeing and hearing and just needs to know, hey, what do I do? Where do I go? We are huge advocates on prevention. We really want to arm not only our stakeholders, but our seniors with the information about prevention. Because once you have that power in your hands and that knowledge in your mind, you're able to translate that into making it work for you. Should a situation arise where something is making you feel uncomfortable and you don't know where to turn, you know we're a phone call away. The phone number for the Senior Safety Line is 1-866-299-1011. That's 1-866-299-1011. Also joining us via Zoom is Tanya Coulter. Program Coordinator of the Aboriginal Healing and Wellness Strategy at Mawikwadong Indigenous Friendship Centre. Tanya, 
What are some of the problems seniors are facing during this pandemic? I would say for people who are living alone on their own, my sense is uh, there's a lot of loneliness, depression, um, isolation, sort of just the the fallout of, of that kind of life living on your own. And I think fear, you know, concern of their health. Often they're individuals who have underlying chronic conditions um, or their, um, their life is challenged by external factors such as um, poverty, food insecurity, lack of transportation in the COVID landscape. Being able to drive yourself places is definitely an advantage. So... Yeah, I think with the summer months, it's not so hard, but come fall and winter, it will definitely be a lot more challenging for people. Thankfully, we're in an area where the COVID numbers is very, very low. So those are good things. Mary, have you noticed any change in people using the senior safety line? Definitely. There was this massive spike that happened. And we always want to clarify, a lot of that was, thank God, not just abuse-related but more information related and just people unsure where to get information that made us feel really secure knowing that they trusted the senior safety line to say, what's happening out there? The news is speaking, but I don't understand. It's happening very quickly. Can you tell me what's really going on? Or what happens if I need to get to my doctor? Or what happens if I don't know how to access groceries? And these are important issues for someone, you know, when you get a bit older, because These are your essentials of life. So we were fielding hundreds upon thousands of calls weekly just to make sure everybody felt safe and secure. And of course, the isolation. I was so used to going to my seniors day program. I can't go anymore. I don't have anyone to talk to. And this is where we worry, where isolation we know can lead to the fear of potential abuse. So we began to really tap into all our regional resources. There were so many phone programs happening, so many Zoom programs happening, where we were making sure everybody had a resource to know they're not alone. As the Friendship Center um, employee, we've, we've talked as staff about how our jobs have changed, right? We used to have an old job, but now we have a new job. Mm. So it involves things of what we did before, but now it's being done differently. And so our, our needs, our, our service needs are definitely changing in terms of what and how we're supporting people. One of the biggest ones is trying to help people maintain good mental health, trying to help people maintain good physical health, trying to help people maintain good emotional and spiritual health. As um, we're, we're in phase three, um, trying to ensure people have good um, reminders and good awareness of, of trying to maintain these patterns or, of behavior to help mitigate uh, the spread. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, no, don't leave me alone, please, please. <sighs> she is not going to make me feel guilty. I'm so late. I'm always late. They are so going to fire me. Please don't leave. I can't stay, and I I can't hire anyone to watch her. What do we need to understand about elder abuse in order to properly recognize it and address it? Pam? Well, I think maybe the first thing is to recognize that it can happen to anyone. 
just like any other form of abuse or poverty, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with the person who's being abused. And there doesn't need to be shame directed at that person or guilt felt by that person if they've been victimized. A wise person once mentioned in a training I was in that we have to remember that everybody we come into contact is doing the very best they can given the skills and the tools that they have in their pockets. So I think too, this is a really great time during COVID-19 to practice that with each other, that when you know there's somebody out there that maybe isn't speaking so nice to us or button in front of us or isn't wearing their mask or any of those things, um, these are really good learning tools for us to remember everybody we come into contact is doing their very best um, today and, and, and in whatever situation they're in. So start from a place of compassion. Yes, with, e- with ourselves and with each other. We talk about burnout so much. And again, I just think about all those check marks of where we are right now that could be putting somebody in a place of burnout. I remember I had a, an incident when I was visiting a senior in a nursing home and I heard a conversation down the hall that was really alarming to me. But then I caught myself and I remembered this person is probably at the end of a 12-hour shift, maybe hasn't slept, maybe not even had lunch yet. And um, and just remembering that um, that person maybe just needs a break right now. And, um, and it was interesting to catch myself doing that and then reaching out to that individual and and offering them some support. We sometimes don't get those conversations in our workplaces about we think about, you know, not necessarily knowing all the supports. Um, It is amazing how many of us, again, our EAP, our employee assistance plan, we don't realize all the things that are part of that that we could be reaching out for on a daily basis. I really appreciate that that comment that we need to pay attention to what we need and what the people that we're interacting with need, and that idea that that anyone can be a victim of of abuse and of elder abuse, whether it's financial, physical, emotional. What do you think that we need to do to overcome these barriers that keep people from reaching out for help and support if they are a senior who is experiencing violence? Jackie? I think it's okay to be awkward. That's one thing I've learned. It's okay to be awkward. It's okay to go up to somebody you don't know and, and sit down. It's okay to, to go up and introduce yourself. Um, we we think about it all historically. If we needed to talk to somebody, everybody had an option and it was picking up your phone and dialing zero. And you got to speak to somebody on the phone who could be your neighbor, who could not be your neighbor, but there was always somebody to talk to. And over the, the years, we've lost those connections. Um, I think of right now too with letters. I've been writing so many letters that I never did before. So going back to some of those old-fashioned ways we had of communicating with each other is so important. I I know uh, our our lifelong care workers are actively checking in on people who are not connected to the technology piece and who maybe just have a landline and maybe don't have an answering machine and things like that. They're trying on a a regular basis to to be checking in on people that way, which is really important. I have sort of my roots of of doing community drop-offs of program supplies to community Mm -hmm. members. Sometimes it's early in the morning when I have time to do these things. So, um, you know, I don't want to disturb them if they're sleeping. So they've told me, put it under the mat or, you know, uh, leave it in the mailbox. So I kind of know their place a little bit. Those elements are, I think, are very important to promote for people. Kind of like neighborhood watch kind of things. (laughs) And Sandra, you said something similar about remembering to check in and whether it's taking muffins over to say, in, in, as we heard in episode one, like take some muffins over and, and see if that person's okay. I must go talk to her. But first, Fred, what about you? What do you mean, what about me? Your glumness. I know something's wrong. 
You have these deep depressions. Look, look. You don't need to know. What else do you recommend people keep an eye out for, or or keep in mind as they're reaching out to vulnerable seniors to be supportive? Well, sometimes in those cases where you're approaching somebody for the first time with some concern and speculation about what exactly is happening, that it may not go so well that interaction, um, and don't berate yourself for that. Don't give up the next time when you when you have a situation that you're also concerned about. In those circumstances where you feel awkward and maybe that situation didn't go so well when you spoke up, that interaction wasn't received so well at the other end, um, that it's very important that you talk to somebody yourself to say, okay, I tried this interaction with this specific person um, and it didn't go well. What could I have done differently? So reaching out to our community members who do support the community as a whole, our community partners, and finding out, you know, through Canadian Mental Health, what is it that I could have done differently to interact with this person because it didn't go so well the first time? That's important as well. And understanding that a conversation about an uncomfortable topic like abuse is probably going to be uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be the most comfortable thing. Just, just leave me alone. Oh, dear. There is something seriously wrong happening here. I, I think I better call 911. Y- your phone is off the hook, Charlie. No wonder no one could reach you. Yes, hello. Something's wrong with my friend. Send an ambulance. Please hurry. Jason, as a representative of the police, what do you think about neighborhood interventions? Usually um, when abuse actually comes to the police, uh, it has escalated to the point where it's become very serious. And so you think of all of the things that could have maybe stopped that abuse before it actually got to the police. And that uncomfortable moment uh, has been mentioned a few times. If you took the time to be a little bit uncomfortable, um, to think of how much you could actually uh, help and prevent what could be really uncomfortable for the person on the other end of that conversation. But maybe that was the door that this, that, that particular person, that senior needed um, to know that the light bulb going off to say, maybe there is something going on or that somebody else has also noticed it and it starts that conversation. Because ideally, you do not want to get to the point where police are involved because then it is, it's pretty serious usually in nature and uh, somebody has been neglected or have been abused for some time to the point where it's so noticeable that police are now involved. So really, it's that whole community piece and reaching out and trying to you know help one another. And reaching out early and keeping that on our radar. Sandra, did you have something to add? Consider a situation where um, the individual goes to the grocery store once or twice a week, and it's the cashier that's working in the grocery store that encounters this person uh, on a regular basis and starts to see changes in how this person's behavior is. And we have a phrase at the Alzheimer's Society that we regularly use, that all behavior has meaning. So what is the reason, what is the meaning behind this individual's behavior? Um, So it might be that then the cashier is, is just making uh, social 
connection with the customer. You know, what a beautiful day. And you walked here today and finding out some information about, oh, so it's, it's rainy out today or, you know, how are you getting back home? And then finding out a little bit more about this individual social circle that, oh, you know, we, we have um, the ability to send the groceries to your door. So how about we do that? And it's free of charge. So, you know, talking to their manager about how we can actually have somebody go to the home to view this situation a little bit more. Um, and, and then by contacting potentially the police about, you know, how is it that we can do regular community checks in on, on this specific person? Because from what we understand, there's no family members actually uh, present. It's, it could be a neighbor that's actually doing the abuse or, of the individual. Anyone can have a role to play in elder abuse prevention. Tanya, did you have something you wanted to add to that? Sometimes abuse is not as um, as kind of in your face and blatant as as you might expect. It's not the physical kind of scars and, and bruises and things. You know it. Anyway, don't expect me to pick you up for a spell. Stay safe. But Lee, Lee, I hired you to drive me. Lee, Lee. No. No, not again. It sometimes is emotional abuse, sometimes is neglect. Um, it's harder to kind of pick up on. So when you're saying things like, how do you... Um, how do you kind of notice it? It can be very hidden. And so it becomes a trust thing. But it also is exactly what everyone is saying is knowing when something's off. And so from a healthcare perspective, um, if you have a closer relationship with your healthcare provider, be it a nurse practitioner, or a physician, or somebody who's doing lab work for you regularly, the pharmacist, you start to actually know um, what this person's norm is. Um, and so you can start to see they're looking a little disheveled. Or um, they're not, you know, they're acting a little bit more quiet and you start to see that things are a little bit off and you might be able to ask those questions. So it's, it is a, it is an opportunity for people to get to know what somebody's norm is. I was at my dentist one day and I said to him, do you see elder abuse? And he said, no, he said, but you know, I just, I do notice that some of my patients, they're, they're living with their kids now. And he said, you know, they're not dressed very well. Their personal hygiene sometimes isn't very good, and it used to be. He said, I noticed people losing weight. And he said, it's more neglect that I see, not abuse. And then he looked at me and he said, but neglect is abuse. And I think for him, that was a real you know, in terms of his role as a dentist, just being aware and identifying. So I think that brings me back to what Tanya was saying, though. Is it perceived abuse or is it real abuse? Because the neglect piece for somebody who's cognitively impaired and maybe living with their family member, but is wearing the same shirt every single day, while the family member may be having difficulty changing that shirt on that individual, they, they you know, there's nothing wrong with my shirt. My shirt is still clean. So rather than argue to try and get that shirt changed and put a clean shirt on, the family member just lets that person stay in the dirty shirt. So, you know, what, what is it that we need to explore or understand a little bit more about the situation? And that makes me wonder, 
about about the complexity of elder abuse. It's it's more than blood and bruises. It's more than than just scams coming through tele, uh, telephone calls. There's such a spectrum there. How would we know the difference between uh, what you've just described as something that is perceived versus actual abuse? We're creatures of habit, and oftentimes we will see people in you know um, on a regular basis. And so often, I think the layperson who just who just goes to work every day and they see the same people come in and out of their store or their hair salon or a dentist or or pick pick a profession. Oftentimes, people will think, well. You know, somebody in social services or somebody with the police or somebody with the mental, they'll look after that or I'm sure they'll pick up on those cues. I don't want to butt in. But the reality is it might be that cashier at Shoppers Drug Mart where that senior goes on a regular basis because they feel very comfortable. That's where they pick up their meds. They might actually have a more informed decision of what that person actually, you know, looks like on an everyday basis and how how their speech and, and who's coming in with them more so than someone who might only check in on them once a month. And so I think it's imperative that as communities community members that we all play a role. And so maybe the question isn't how do we prevent abuse, but how do we make sure that everyone's okay? And if we think about these the stories that we've heard over the, the preceding episodes, Charlie was isolated at home and he wasn't okay. Um, characters that were being physically assaulted, they were not okay. And how do we as community members help to ask the questions so that we can answer that that? Yeah, that question of, is this person okay? And follow up with, what do they need to be okay? Come on, people are looking. Oh, poor Mickey. Well, she's gone downhill so quickly, hasn't she? Oh, for heaven's sake, she stole my COVID has been an un, like a trying time for everybody, and it's thrown things on its head there's no no there's no norm right that's it's a new norm as everybody's saying but what it's given us is an opportunity to do things differently and it's and you've really seen um across the community across gray and bruce counties it's given people an excuse to go to their neighbors to ask those questions this gave people the right they felt to go and just say i'm just checking on you do you need anything and I think it's open doors for the community to be a little more caring, not that we weren't before, but in a different way. Which really highlights the importance of relationships in keeping elders safe, in keeping well anyone in, in our community safe and, and well, but specifically seniors in all the ways that they are vulnerable. If someone tells you they're being abused or they're being badly treated, because they're not going to probably say, hello, I'm being abused. They're going to, you know, they might talk about their, I can't, I can't go to, I can't go to church. They don't want me to go to church, so I can't do that. Abuse is about power and control. All abuse is about that. And in, I, I believe. And so if we listen carefully and watch, if people feel like they are unable to participate in their community in the way they have been able to, because someone else is preventing them from doing that, for instance, or someone is, is really raging at them and they're, and they're fearful, but listening to that and simply being able to respond by saying, is there anything I can do to help? So trusting seniors' perceptions of what's going on in their life, I think, is part of it. We've mentioned before that if you need information or help and you're not sure where to go, call 211. If it's an emergency, call 911. But the Senior Safety Line is also a great resource at one 
866-299-1011. Isn't that right, Mary? If there's ever a situation or just something you're not sure of, call our senior safety line. I always say no question is too small. No question is too large. There's no time limit in terms of how it's not a 911 emergency line, as we always let people know, so you're not rushed off a call. We're there to take time to speak with you. And so we always want everyone to know we're there. We're not going anywhere. We're there to make sure, even if it's just a friendly check-in, call us. We are available, and we're very proud of that. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Mary, Tanya, Jason, Pam, Tanya, Sandra, and Jackie. There's more to talk about than we've had time to talk about. So we invite you to come back next week when we talk about the fear pandemic, financial abuse, social determinants of health, and so much more. It's so important that people be able to reach out for information. If you see or feel something that isn't right with a friend of yours, it's okay to ask them about it. You might be just who they need today. You Can't Throw Your Granny Off a Bus, the podcast is supported by the Government of Canada's Emergency Community Support Fund and Community Foundation Grey Bruce, New Horizons for Seniors, and the Ontario Arts Council. You Can't Throw Your Granny Off a Bus, the podcast was adapted by Joan Chandler from the play of the same name by Audrey Otter, Ted Kodak, Joan Chandler, and David Sarita. Granny was produced and directed by Joan Chandler, with music direction and arrangements by David Sarita. Additional lyrics by Cora Taylor. Promotion by Andrea Stenberg. Recorded and mixed by G.I. Home at Walls Down Studios, Owen Sound. You Can't Throw Your Granny Off a Bus is a production of Sheater. You can email us at sheater at sheater.com. Sheater is spelled S-H-E-A-T-R-E. To learn more about Granny and Sheater, please visit our website, www.sheater.com. You cannot throw your granny off a bus.